everybody, and welcome to The Mead Feed. My name is Whitney Mead, and I am so glad that you are joining me today. This is a very special episode because we have our very first podcast guest on The Mead Feed today. Representative Celeste Davis is joining me. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you, Whitney. I am delighted to be here and delighted to be speaking with you today. Thank you, and I'm so glad that we get to do this in person because so many people are having to do Zoom podcasts and stuff like that, so the fact that we get to sit across the table from one another and talk face-to-face is a blessing in this day and age. Yes, it's much easier to talk that way. I agree. I agree. Why don't you introduce yourself to the audience and tell them about yourself and what you do and your role and all that kind of thing? Gosh, well, um, I was born in Charlotte, North Carolina, and in middle school, I moved to South Carolina. Um, I attended middle school and high school in Conway, South Carolina, and what's interesting, I think, about the beginning of my life is that all of my relatives were entrepreneurs. And so, as we got together on holidays and Sunday lunch and Christmas, the discussions wouldn't be about football or about local gossip. It was always about business. So I grew up around that type of talk. Um, and, And I, from a very early age, understood the challenges of having a small business. And, and we had a manufacturing business, which was later basically um, put out of business from Chinese imports. So I saw that firsthand. And so that's, that's sort of an interesting, I think, beginning sure. um, to my life. Um, another interesting thing is that we never talked politics. Ever? No. I don't know if my parents were Republican or Democrat. Yes, we never talked politics. We never talked religion. Okay. It was like, um, you know, your religion and your politics were personal. Don't you feel like that is a previous generation trait? I've heard that from many other people that with that that generation, it was very personal and it wasn't discussed. That's right. You didn't tell anybody who you voted for. You didn't dare ask anybody who you voted for. No, no. And there wasn't all of the political talk that we hear today. So, um, you know, I, as I got older and attended College of Charleston, that was really where I started to develop my own opinions about politics. And I realized that I was a conservative, mm-hmm. um, a fiscal ser- conservative, certainly, um, and then social conservative as well, and just economic conservative, um, you know, firm believer and in, in supporter of capitalism and free enterprise and less government is more kind of kind of thing. And um, I, I was um, I joined the Young Republicans when I was, you know, 18 or so years old, and my first vote for president was for Ronald Reagan. Yes. Reagan. <laughs> so um, so that's kind of where you know, my political thoughts and my political opinions started. Um, Then I got married and had children, and, you know, I I devoted my my life to my work and my children. Mm -hmm. And then once I retired, I decided I needed something else to do, and I wanted to give back in a bigger way. I was doing a lot of volunteer work, and it just wasn't quite enough to suit me. And so 
um, and stop me if I'm going into too much detail You're on not. this. You're but, not. This is great. But, this is good um, for people to hear. But this is, I mean, this is really the, the sort of the, the progression of my life and how I've gotten to where I am. So after I retired, I started reading a lot of books about finding God's will for our lives. And I really felt, um, I was very um, confused, I guess, is a good way of putting it. And, and really anxious about understanding and knowing God's will for my life. And so I had devoted so much time to work and to children that now I had time to really think about what is God's will? Why am I here? And so, oddly enough, a position came open for House of Representatives seat. I literally waited until the last minute. The, the filing closed at noon on a Monday. I rolled into the parking lot at 10 minutes to 12. I prayed, dear God, if this is what I'm supposed to do, please tell me what I need to do. Yeah. Well, I'm looking in the parking lot, nobody's showing up, because I'm thinking, all right, somebody else is gonna file, sure. and, and that'll be my sign that I'm not supposed to file, or whatever, right? So I literally play, prayed in the parking lot. I walked in to the building, I filed to run for election, and I walked back out to my car and I prayed again and I said, dear God, um, you know, you brought me here and this is on you now. I'm relying <laughs> on you to get me through this and, and help me understand what I'm supposed to do with this. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, I, over the course of several elections, I, I kept winning elections and I mean, and that's not to say I'll win tomorrow. I just um, believe that we are where we are for a reason. And um, as, as long as I continue to feel like I'm here for a reason, I will continue to pursue that each and every day. And as long as I feel like I'm making a difference and um, encouraging others and, and doing God's will, then I'm going to keep doing that. So, Have you felt those confirmations since you won? I mean, obviously winning is confirmation that you're in, in the right place, but are there have there been other moments that you've had since you've been elected that where you've felt like the Lord has just been like, yes. this is where you're supposed to be? Yes. Yeah. Um, I mean, winning is just the beginning, right? Right. I mean, once you won, then that's then where the, the realization begins. sets yeah. in. Oh boy, now I've got this huge responsibility. And I do see it as a responsibility. I see it as a responsibility to all the people that I represent. Mm-hmm. And I have had situations where, um, uh, you know, I would be in a crowd of people and someone would seek me out and they'd say, Celeste, can I just hug you? And I said, yes, this happened fairly recently. And so we hugged, and she said, I don't know if you remember me, but I was trying to help a young lady who was um, in foster care, and she was in the juvenile justice system, and she was going down the wrong path, and you helped me get the right people involved, and now she's going to school, she's turned her life around. And so... You know, it's those little moments where I, even if I change one life, even if if I can help one person, I'm going to continue to do what I'm doing. In spite of all of the setbacks, all of the, um, all of the chatter on Facebook and social media, um, in spite of all the really tough decisions that have to be made sometimes, 
um, I'm willing to do all that as long as I feel like I'm making a difference. Mm -hmm. Well, speaking of Facebook and social media chatter, your election process was tough. Yes. You had two, two cycles that you went through to run for the Republican nomination for yes. the 100 seat. And both votes came down to 40 and 44, is that right? The two yes. different? Yes. And like with what we're facing on a national level with the recounts and the audits and election integrity in general, what was that process like for you for both of those races to come down to 40 votes? Which, by the way, you know for the number 40 is the biblical, represents the biblical number for, for trial, for testing and trial. I just was thinking about that this morning because I was thinking about Jesus was in the desert for 40 days. And for that number, it just blew my mind. Blew well, my mind. I will tell you that I was very concerned um, both nights. And, I mean, there again, I mean, I have no idea how both of those elections came so close. Right. You know, why they were that way. I, and I, I don't know. And, and I will say that the, this, this last election mm -hmm. in, in 2020, when it came so close, it triggered an automatic recount. Right. Both, both elections right. triggered an automatic recount. So in, in this case, um, in 2020, we had new voting machines. We had paper ballots. And so um, I decided I wanted to, in, or, in order to really understand kind of how the process worked, too, I wanted to witness the, the entire recount. Absolutely. And so they fed in every, well, I say every one. They were put in in stacks. stacks. And then they've got a machine that actually reads each individual ballot. Right. And, and, and tallies the, the votes. Mm -hmm. And so, of course, you know, when you've got that small a margin, you're very anxious about the recount. Sure. And it did, it did end up coming, you know, to exactly what we expected it to sure. come to. But I sat there and I watched that whole recount process. And so that gave me confidence in, in that process. Right. Um, now, are there some things that we need to continue to look at? Absolutely. And we should never assume that everything's going to run by the law, right? Exactly. And that's why it's very important for us to have poll watchers there, for us to have, and I say us, meaning the Democrats or the Republicans. Each party should have their own representatives at every, um, at every um, voting location so that we can ensure that everything is working as it should. I agree. Um, the laws in, in South Carolina, I think, are, are good. I think that we've got a process in place that ensures that our elections, um, you know, are correct good. and that we can have faith in those elections. But we have to stay on top of that. Mm -hmm. And it, it's not, you know, election integrity is not something that you can just, like, figure out one year and say, oh, well, we're good to go now and put it on a shelf. It's, it's ongoing, and it's something that we need to revisit every year yeah. just to make sure that we are doing the right thing. I think that's really good wisdom. I agree. So I wanted to ask you, too, about your decision to run for a state role versus choosing to run for a federal role, a national role. Um, I think that 
one of the things I've been observing, especially over the past two years, is the importance of state government and how vital it is right now because I'm watching our governor, our governor in particular, take a really strong stand for our state and for our constituents. Um, and a lot of other governors around the country doing the same thing. And I, I think we're seeing this kind of a, a revival of the state government level and how vital it is. So talk to me a little bit about your, um, your heart for the state the state level of government and and what makes you passionate about serving the state itself? Well, at the state level, I feel like as an individual, we can get more done. Mm -hmm. We accomplish a lot more. Now, um, that's made a lot simpler because we have a, a Republican governor um, and we have Republican majorities in both the House and Senate. Right. Um, if that was... Any other way, it, it may be different. Okay. But we can get a lot done that way. Right. Um, as long as we work together and not we're, as long as within the party we're not working against each other, then sure. that's where that starts, starts to fall apart. But we can actually get a lot done. And so um, I like getting things done. I'm the kind of person I like to make a list and start mm -hmm. checking things off. So I like the feeling of actually accomplishing something and moving the ball forward. Right. And one thing I've learned in politics and in government is that even if you don't get exactly what you want today, as long as you're moving the ball forward, yeah. that's, that's what matters. So sometimes I, I see some of my colleagues or others in government that they want, it's an all or nothing approach. Sure, sure. And so a lot of times, guess what we get? Nothing. We don't, and, and so anytime you take that all or nothing approach, you take a risk that you get nothing. Mm -hmm. So I've learned that it's better to move the ball forward. I mean, just like, you know, a good, a good football a team, good right? Football right? First down, first yes, down, first yeah. down, first down, and then you've got a That's touchdown. That's how you win. That's right. That's how you win. And if you consistently work towards that first down, um, in politics, you, you eventually get it done. Sure. Um, a lot of politicians, because of you know our election cycles, they're thinking short term. Sure. And you know that there's a benefit to that, and then, then that can be detrimental. I think in some cases it is detrimental because you're not looking at the long term where we want to be in the next 50 years. Kinda. Sure. And that is one of the things I've heard from people who observe maybe. Chinese government, um, some of these other large world leader, you know, world economic powerhouses, that that is one of their criticisms of American government in general is that we're so short-sighted and that they have such long-range vision that we that that that's that's a detriment to our own government. Is well, that, it is, and we have to be careful of that because China is playing the long game. Yeah, they are. <laughs> yeah, they they're are. playing the long game. Yeah, and if. If we don't play the long game as well, mm -hmm. then, you know, I, I don't know what would happen. I, I don't even like to think what would happen. But I do believe that some of our threats, economic threats mm -hmm. and security threats, um, particularly China and Russia, they're playing the long game. Yeah. And as long as the United States is fighting over small issues— right then we're not fighting over the bigger issues, which means we're not 
working towards the long term. Yeah, absolutely. And that and that concerns me. And frankly, when you think about national politics, that is where we should be thinking long term. Mm-hmm. We should be thinking, you know, wide and deep, right? right. Exactly. And a, a lot of times we, we don't even do that. And a lot of times I'll be looking through my emails, right, and I see emails from national politicians, federal politicians, and all I'm seeing is asking for money. Money, 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 money. For their elections? Is that what they're... Yes. They're, they're just fundraising. Yes. Which is yes. what their focus is, is how well, do I get, I mean, do I get and, reelected? And, and so the way the system's set up, right, they have to focus on money because, number one, it takes a lot of money to run for absolutely a national office, um, which is a whole discussion in and of itself yeah. because I think it keeps a lot of people out of politics, even locally. Um, and I will say this. Um, you know, you'd asked why I started at the state level. Well, I actually ran for school board okay. in 2014, I think it was. I can't even remember when mm-hmm. I ran for school board. I lost. Um, but it taught me a, a little bit about elections, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I was a math major in college. I'd never taken a political science class. <laughs> right. So, um, you know, I really didn't know what I was doing at the time. Um, but when you look at, at the national politics, it seems so unreachable for most people. I, I would think that. I would think, and, and I've thought through that. And I've even thought to state myself, politics. Yeah, I mean, you, you have to think, am I known well enough? Do I have the right connections to be able to get these, these endorsements from these groups to have the legitimacy and the financial undergirding to be able to run. That's a, that, for the average person, they're not even, they're gonna think those thoughts. Right. Even if they think those thoughts, they're, they're gonna be like, yeah, no, I don't, right. there's so, no way. So for those on the podcast who are thinking about running for politics, don't let any of that get in your way. What because you the Because you be? can always get over those perceived boundaries. Mm -hmm. You can always get over those. And honestly, as much as I don't like social media sometimes, Mm -hmm. social media has been a platform for a lot of people to get their message out that would otherwise not have been heard. Sure. So I think in that respect, you know, your your average everyday working mom, um, there are things that you can do and places you can go and you know, goals you can attain now mm-hmm. that maybe you wouldn't have been able to 20 years ago just because of social media. That is that is true. I mean, I'm a perfect example of that. I wanted to be a news anchor. Mm-hmm. And Chris and I got married, and I was like, there's no way I'm going to be at the newsroom at 3 o'clock in the morning and be able to have a healthy marriage at 22 years old. It's right. just I knew that wasn't, you know. So here we are 14 years later, and I have social media to use and I get to do the same thing and I don't have to work for a network and we can sit in our conference room and have a podcast and That's have right. a healthy marriage. That's you know right. what I mean? It's yes. just a different it's a different world now. Yes. It's different. Yes. Absolutely different. So absolutely. And and if anybody if you want to run for office, go run. Just well pray first. <laughs> That's important. <laughs> I recommend yeah, that. I, I agree. recommend that I highly. Agree. So pray first and then go do it. Yeah. What? And, and believe in your ability to get there. Mm-hmm. Because 
underdogs win all day, every day. And if you're an underdog today, that means that you could still be a winner tomorrow. That's true, and especially right now, because I think people are really op paying attention more in a way that they've never paid, paid attention before. And that's one of the things I wanted to ask you. A lot of my friends and the people that I communicate with through social media, they don't know where to, where do you even begin? If you have a passion for something at the state level or even locally in your own community and you want to talk to your representative, you talk to your elected officials, how do people do that? Like what's the best way to go about that and do you welcome those conversations? How do you like to receive that kind of conversation? Oh, I always welcome. Right. Always welcome that conversation. The easiest way to get in touch with me personally is to text me. Okay. And my number is 843-729-9243. And I readily put it out there. Um, but that's the best way to get, to get me and to get my attention. Now, if you've got something that you want to write, an email works best for me. Mm -hmm. um, you can go on the um, South Carolina General Assembly uh, website and I think it's schouse.gov. I hate I that I don't it, even no, know what it, it right. is. I think, I, think I, Google right. it. I Google it every time. So um, you can go on that, that website and you can look up the members mm -hmm. and you can send emails via the website to individual members or to the whole House, or to the whole Senate, or to your delegation. And your delegation is all of the senators and House members in your county. Okay, and those come directly to your inbox? Yes. You get that from the website, yes. so there's no middleman. Because that's what I'm always wondering. I'm always wondering, is there some secretary who's scanning this right. and going, right. I don't feel like sending that. Right, well, in, in my case, it goes directly to me. Okay. Um, the Senate is a little bit different because they have more, well, they have larger districts for one thing. They're 46 senators for, uh, for the whole state. So they have a larger district to begin with. And then they have more administrative support than a House member. Okay. And so a lot of times they do have secretaries that help them with that. But I don't think that there's an administrative assistant or a secretary out there that's going to filter things. Okay. Right. I was just curious. Um, in fact, some of the, some of the, most difficult phone calls I get or the most difficult emails I get, uh, I get are the ones that I respond to the quickest. Mm. Now, I'm not, I don't want to be barraged sure, with a course. lot of negative stuff, but, um, but I, I just hear the frustration as someone's writing something or someone speaking to me on the phone. I hear the frustration. I hear the angst. Um, in fact, um, a funny story recently, a woman called um, my phone and left a message. I can't remember if she left a message on my phone or a message with um, my assistant in Columbia, but she said, we've got to impeach Joe Biden. And she was, oh boy, she was really, really upset about it and mad about the situation in Afghanistan and mad about the vaccines and about masking and all of this. And so I picked up the phone and I called her back. And she and I talked and talked and talked. And I want you to know that at, some, at one point in our conversation, she says, I feel like I need to pray over you. Can I pray with you? I said, yes. <laughs> I'll take prayers all day, every day. Yeah. 
And she and I were on the phone together, and she prayed for me. On the phone. On the phone. After having a really difficult conversation. After having a really difficult conversation with her, but she realized that I was just as frustrated and upset as she was. Sure. And she wanted to give me support so that in my in my position, I could have, you know, something, I could have uh, some sort of influence. Yeah. Or I could help make change. Um, yeah. So I, I have some really rewarding, rewarding conversations, rewarding relationships with people that I never would have talked to or met if I hadn't run for office. And so I really, I really feel enriched by my experience in politics. And I know that sounds crazy. No, it doesn't because it sounds, because of what you said about you asking the Lord for his will for your life. That is another confirmation to me that you are squarely where you're supposed to be. Well, and I ask God for guidance every day because we do have some really, really tough decisions that we have to make. There's some really tough topics that are out there. And so I I always ask for guidance, guidance from God and direction. Thinking about those tough things that we're facing right now, what is your, what's your read on What's your, what's the your pulse, your read, the temperature of what you're what you're seeing right now? Because I feel like you might get to see um, not a different perspective, but a perspective that the average person doesn't get to because you do get to be in the room. You get to be in the room, which is such a gift. I mean, that's such an anointing in general. Like yes. it just blew, like that. Just it's so special. Um, I know that it's weighty. I know that it comes with a lot of responsibility um, and probably attack and all those things that come with it. I understand that. But what is the, what are, what's your read right now on the climate of, um, let's start with our state and what we're facing at the state level with COVID and the election and all of the layers of junk that we've been dealing with. Right. Um, I mean, as you know, emotions are high. And, you know, when, when the pandemic first started, what I told my boys who are, you know, they're basically adults, is that, you know, we're living through a, a part of history. We're living through something that will be in the history books. So pay attention, mm-hmm. right? And, and frankly, you know, at the very beginning, we worked together, right? We did what we had to do to help one another, to, to save one another. And we, we've now come out of that, and we're in a period where, you know, I see a lot of um, disagreement. Um, I, I see a lot of angst. Mm-hmm. I see a lot of um, worried parents. Um, so we're, we're going into another part of, of this, and, and I really think that and some of this had already started really sort of a, a rebirth in the United States. I agree with you of, there. Of, of hyper-awareness, and we just have to be careful about that because I'm seeing hyper-awareness that is joined with activism, mm-hmm. if you will, mm-hmm. um, that is good, and it, and it takes us to a better place. 
but I'm also seeing some of that frustration take us to a place of division. Right. And I think we just have to all, you know, take a deep breath and make sure that our actions are constructive and are doing, are bringing us together, not tearing us apart. Because let me tell you what, our enemies, China in particular, I really believe that China is a, a, a threat. Yes. A huge threat. Yes, I agree with you. To the United States, to the world. But, um, you know, while we are bickering, if you will, China's using that opportunity to do some other things. We're distracted. Yes, we're distracted. And so I think that we need to just make sure that what we say and what we do moves the ball forward and helps us and brings us together. Because I do think that we need to bring, our, bring ourselves together and we need to move forward. And I have full faith in the American people and the people of South Carolina and the people of Berkeley County in, in particular. We will get through this. And we will be victorious on the other side. And we'll do that in a manner where we make sure that we preserve what we know and love about Berkeley County and we, what we know and love about our neighbor and that we will, we will get there in time and, and that we will get there in a manner that's in accordance with God's will, right. obviously. There are, um, there's a lot of mistrust with with the political atmosphere between the Americans and their elected officials. Do you feel like, from what you've experienced with your colleagues, that they have that same attitude of, we, this is our vision and this is where we're going? Do you see that, do you feel that same kind of spirit? I would love to hear that the answer is yes to that, or is, it, is, is there some more division? I would say, well, I would say mostly yes. Um, you know, the concern that I have is what we talked about earlier, There's the, that there is this short-term perspective as opposed to a long-term perspective. And I think as long as we are focused on the short-term, we're, we're going to miss God's will. We're going to miss what we should be doing. And so I do see some of that, but I tell, I'll, I'll tell you this. I was very surprised when I became a member of the House how many other people that were there for the right reasons. That's great to hear. I mean, that's wonderful to and, hear. And, and honestly, at the state level, the Republicans and the Democrats, you know, we have several key issues that we disagree on. Mm-hmm. but And we may disagree uh, on camera. Right. But when we walk out that door, we're, you know, we're, we're still friends. Yeah. That is what I think. And we're, so those relationships, those relationships actually are are, are very strong. I, I mean, wish we could hear. I wish we're that there that was, for each other. I mean, yeah. if if someone's um, family member dies, if someone's sick, if someone's distraught, if someone has, you know, some sort of family issue, we're there. We are always there for each other, and it doesn't matter race, creed, color, anything. Mm-hmm. Um, we're there for each other. Mm-hmm. And so what the public sometimes sees, right, is, is, one thing. is, is, right, is bickering and, and fussing and fighting. But it's not always necessarily like that. I wish that that was like, I, I know it's, 
that's the that is the struggle that I have with media and and as like literally we own a video production company like we cre we are creators we make videos I understand the magic of editing like I I 100% get it um, I, I have a friend who is would not consider herself a Republican or a Democrat mm -hmm. she's fully independent mm -hmm. she's voted in different ways. She's been questioning a lot of what's been going on over the past couple of years, but um, her her platform right now is ultimately at the end of the day, we really do all want the same thing. That's right. Ultimately at the end of the yes. day. And truly, we, are, we need to be unified together rather than div divided. And I so I, I, that is a hope that I would love to see for for our elected officials in the future to, to give us a little bit more of that, like to, to give us a little bit more of the, those, of how do you function with differing political views, but at the end of the day, still right. be able to sit across the table and have a meal with one another. Right, you know, you're the second person that has said that in a week to me, that we need to be more open about what we agree on. Sure. And, I feel and, like we used to have a lot more of that, like, back in the day, you know, back in the, the 70s and 80s, there was more cross-aisle cross partnerships happening than everything's gotten so polarized. No, there, well, there are, are those, there are those partnerships. Okay. Um, the best way to see that, if, if someone's interested, you can go to the South Carolina State Legislature website. Okay. And you can look at our meetings. And all of the meetings are televised sure. on ETV. Um, and you can, if you drill down to the committee meetings, mm -hmm. that's where you start seeing everybody working together. Okay. Um, you know, especially some of these subjects that aren't as contra controversial. Mm -hmm. You, you can start seeing how we all really work together okay. during, those, during those committee meetings because that's when we're getting testimony. That's when we're having discussion. It's deeper than just the vote on the floor. It is much deeper, and, okay. and it's a much longer process. Yeah. I mean, typically, once we get to the floor, we all know how we're going to vote. Right. It's just a matter of taking the vote at that point. Right. Right, and that's because, not because a lot's happened behind the scenes, but it's because of the process. And um, talk to me a little bit about what that, what your, what that looks like for you. Okay, I've got a great example, okay. right? Um, a young lady contacted me. She had worked really hard in um, high school to get um, the, the highest scholarship mm -hmm. level, right? And so she came to me and she said, um, Celeste, I've got a problem because I've, I've won this scholarship and I can't use it to go to tech school. She wanted to, go, she wanted to start her um, right. education at a tech school and then move on to a four-year college or university, mm -hmm. um, specifically MUSC okay. is what she wanted to do. And she said, so now I've worked so hard through high school, and I'm going to lose that scholarship because I can only use that scholarship at a four-year four school. school, right? And so she said, I called um, uh, the Department of Ed, and they told me that those scholarships are for the best and brightest, I'm putting it in air, in quotes, air quotes, the best and brightest in South Carolina, and so we don't um, 
allow tech school. Okay, y'all can't see me right now. Yeah. But I literally have my head in my hands. Yeah. Because <laughs> yeah. even in my own heart, the Lord has done a work in the past five years on how important tech schools are. I mean, good gravy. You can make like, I don't know. I mean, just as, as a business owner, tech schools are so vital. Oh, I, so know, vital. I know, I know. So so anyway, that that's a no-brainer, right? So anyway, I said, let me see what, what we can do. Yeah. So I worked with some legal staff. We drafted a bill that would allow um, that scholarship to be used mm-hmm. at um, a tech school, two-year um, school okay. or tech school. Um, and so we t- sent it through the process. The first year, it got through the House but didn't make it through the Senate. This past year in 2020, I said, we're going we're gonna to start this again. We're going to try yeah. this again. Yeah. And what was so interesting about this is that this is a young lady who contacted me directly. I mean, she's probably 22 now, mm-hmm. and she had contacted me when she's about 19 or so. So she came to me. Her she sta- inspired her state, a bill. Her yeah. state legislator. She inspired a bill. She pointed out a problem. I championed the issue, right? Mm-hmm. I brought her in to the subcommittee hearing. To she talk. testified at two subcommittee hearings because we had to do it two times sure. because it didn't pass the first time. Right. Um, so she came and testified before the subcommittee, and they were all, yes, absolutely. Of we, course. Yes. she was a real person, and it yes. was a real story. Yes, absolutely. And she could demonstrate exactly how a law was impacting her life and her ability to do what she wanted to do as far as her education was concerned. And so we we finally got it passed. And, you know, um, I, I actually had wanted to have the governor sign it and have a big signing and yeah. all of that. But she was getting married in about that time. And um, and we've had COVID and that sort of thing. Um, but it was it was a real victory for her. It was a real victory for our students, and it was just a tiny thing, right? right. But it moved the ball forward. What well, an impact! And it so created many. opportunities yeah. that weren't there before. Right. And so, you know, I, I like using that example. I think I think that's a great example of an individual making a difference. I think so too. And I feel like that's exactly why I'm in the position that I'm in is to hear from people and hear these ideas and be their champion and go and try to change the law. Um, so it's I, fasc- I think no, it's, it's absolutely fascinating how it works, too. I mean, I'm just, I'm in kind of in awe of the process, right. too. Right, you know, that But the process is very deliberate. Sure. You know, you file a bill. Um, it's, it's assigned to a committee. Mm-hmm. The committee chair puts it on the agenda then the committee members hear testimony, then it goes, and that's in a subcommittee. And then it goes to the full committee, and then it goes to the floor, where a number of things, I mean, it could get killed totally on the floor, it could could get passed, it could be delayed, it could be amended, Mm -hmm. and then it goes over to the the other, um, it goes to the Senate, it goes to the other chamber. And then the other chamber goes through that same process. It so starts. they take it through subcommittee and yes. all of that as well? Absolutely, okay. yes. So when a bill gets to the floor, it's had a lot of attention. Mm-hmm. And most times it has been fully vetted. Yeah. I mean, it's only really rarely that someone um, comes up with an amendment um, 
that hasn't been discussed before. Right. You know, sort of, ooh, you know. They throw we, it on there. Right. Yeah. Um, so it, it, that's, really, that's really rare. So it does go through a full vetting process. And at any point in that process, right, mm-hmm. an individual can notify their senator, their representative, and they can do that in lots of ways. I mean, I've gotten phone calls. I've gotten texts. I've gotten visits to my office. We've seen groups of people, um, you know, protesting sure. out on the Capitol steps. Yeah. Um, do you see that, by the way, when people are doing that? Do you guys notice it? Yes. You do? Yes. Okay. I was just curious. Yes, absolutely. Okay. I mean, because I want to know what... What they're protesting. Right. Yeah. Right. What are they thinking? Sure. And, um, I mean, I've gone into my office and have a stack of mail on my, on my desk. I mean, and, and I'm like two feet. <laughs> Eight, a good 18 inches <laughs> for those listening. Um, so we get feedback in a lot of a lot of ways, yeah. but all of that makes a difference. And I, and, yeah. and for example, with the you know 18 inches of mail that I've seen on my desk before, mm-hmm. I don't read every one. Sure, because I mean that would that you would take forever. For that. And a lot of times it's about an issue that's coming up quickly. Right. But the volume tells you something. Absolutely. Just like when when we get um, we get a lot of emails, mm-hmm. and sometimes. People will send me an email. They say, well, did you see your email? My email, I'm like, no, I'm so sorry because I got hundreds, hundreds, hundreds others. But the volume tells, tells you it something. Speaks. Yes, the, the volume, volume speaks. speaks. That is very encouraging to me because that has been something that um, a lot of my friends have been curious about is when we communicate. So, you know, say they've rallied this big group of moms to everybody call your legislators and you wonder, did they get the, the messages? When they may not have gotten the specific message, but they got the fact that they got 450 phone calls today right. about this one topic. Right. And right. they heard that. Right. They, they're hearing you and speak that, through and that, that. And that happens, yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Yes. Um, I want to shift gears and ask you about your visit to DHEC this week mm-hmm. because I feel like you probably got to see some stuff that the average person doesn't get to see behind the behind closed doors at DHEC. So tell us about your visit to DHEC. Well, I I went to DHEC. By the way, DHEC, for those of you who are not from South Carolina, is our health and environmental control agency, just so you know that that's right. what that is. Right. So I went um, for two reasons. One reason was to talk with a couple of folks about the certificate of need process. Okay. What is that? Um, the certificate of need process is a process that a hospital or a, um, a healthcare facility has to go through in order to get their new hospital, their um, freestanding emergency room, their okay. ambulatory center, yep. their um, large piece of equipment to expand to, and grow to the a facility through the government. Okay. So from the very beginning, when I was first elected, um, I was approached about supporting. Certificate of need, the certificate of need process for X, Y, and Z, whatever. Right. And and my standard answer in my st- standard letter has always included the fact that I believe that individuals should have choices in their health care, mm-hmm. and to that end, I am not going to stand in the way of any new hospital expansion or a new hospital or freestanding emergency room Mm -hmm. or surgical center. I'm not going to stand in the way of any of that. No. Because I believe that those entities need to figure out whether or not it's beneficial for the community, whether or not it's profitable or whatever. They need to figure all that out. 
and I don't need to stand in the way of free enterprise. Right. And I don't need to stand in the way of individuals well, this goes getting, back, getting healthy. Yeah, this goes back right. to your core values. Right. What you talked about at the very beginning exactly. of the podcast. Exactly. So um, that was one reason why I went. The mm-hmm. other reason why I went is because Avery Wilkes had written a, an article, and it had talked about the people behind the scenes at DHEC and the people that had been working on this pandemic and responding to this pandemic from the very beginning. And I can't even remember now how many days it is. But, you know, we're, we're over a year. Oh, yeah. We're a good year and a half. year and a half in. Yeah. I, Depending, I mean, gosh, we're even closing in on two years. Because right. who really knows when it started? Yeah. You know, it could have even started spreading before we were even aware that it was spreading. Right. You know? Right. Well, in DHEC, when they have a formal response to an emergency, mm-hmm. they basically set up a, a command and control center. Okay. And they have a totally separate um, organizational structure that they use to handle emergencies, okay. which I found very interesting. It is. I did not know that. And so anyway, when I read the article that Avery Wilkes had written about these people that were behind the scenes working long hours every day, counting deaths, counting shots in arms, trying to uh, distributing um, um, vaccines, trying to get testing out there, that whole effort that had to happen sure. in order to uh, respond to the, the virus. There are all these people that are behind that. Real people. Real people. And so I decided that since I was at DHEC, I needed to meet and talk to these real people. And I needed to tell them thank you. Mm-hmm. Because I did. I felt like we needed to be doing that. Yeah. And so that's what I did. And so um, they took, took me around, and I just, I just met different people. Um, I met an epidemiologist, which I was very impressed about. That's, uh, yeah. that's impressive. I was like, wow, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, but, you know, um, you know, just normal, everyday people doing their jobs. Mm-hmm. How was the response from them when you were there? Were yeah, they were, were they overwhelmed a little bit just in I mean just to get some positive feedback. No, I mean they were very they were very happy to see me. Sure, I'm sure they yeah, were. Yeah, yeah, and and they seemed very glad to see me and you know I had nothing you know big to say to them other than just thank you. Well, I think thank you that's and I, and I noticed you and I I wanted to come see what you do. Yeah. And so, you know, beyond all the politics, right? There are always people behind the scenes. Mm-hmm. There are always the worker bees. There are always the people that are coming in and working late and doing all they can, in this case, right, to save lives. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so I just, I just wanted to meet them and talk to them. And so that's what, I, that's what I did. Well, I think it was really thoughtful of you to do that. And I know they appreciated it, too, because I'm sure that they're not getting a lot of Pats on the back all the time, too. Right. You know, this is a tough, the whole thing is tough. Right. It's all it is. It is. And people are very opinionated, including myself. So I'm not like, you know, if you're a regular listener and social media follower, you know how outspoken I am about this. So, yes, but there are real people. Well, and I've been, out, I've been outspoken. <laughs> I've been outspoken about it um, as well. Yeah. Um, most recently, I, I penned a letter to the governor. Mm-hmm. Um, there were other representatives that signed on with me, 
And I asked him to, to work with DHEC to expand the, um, the antibody infusion centers. Thank you. Thank you. We well, need it. We, need we it. do need it. We need what you just said about the certificate of need. We need, we need healthcare choices right now. Yes. There is no one-size-fits-all prescription for recovering from COVID for any one individual. Right. And the fact that certain people are trying to squash certain remedies because they're not profitable for big pharma is disgusting. Um, and more and more people are talking about it. And more and more people are like contacting me because I know physicians who are prescribing some of these alternatives. And they're like nurses from the hospital who are getting in touch with me to try to figure out how to get these alternatives. I'm like, right. this is blowing my mind. Right. So, okay, so latest development okay. on the infusions, right? Right. Is that the federal government is now controlling the allotment. I heard this. And the state of South Carolina is getting maybe a third of what we were getting. So, let's ask the question, why? Why? I don't know. Well, that is a good question. Let's the let's take the most obvious answer and I'm not going to put the words in your mouth. I'll say it myself. They don't want people taking the treatment. Ask the question why? Follow the rabbit trail. Doesn't make sense to me. Well, on social media, right? When mm -hmm. I put my letter out on social media, I did get some feedback from some folks that said, "Why would you promote a treatment for COVID?" when we're trying to get people vaccinated. And, because people are you still know, getting it? I mean, because people are still well, getting it. So, so, okay, so the second point in my letter to the governor was that I believe that the vaccine was a personal choice. Mm -hmm. And I do. I got the vaccine, but I did my research and I looked at risk versus reward and I decided to get it. And I... Everybody deserves that choice. Yes. So if you choose not to get the vaccine, then does that mean that you would be denied treatment or de denied options? Well, that's what's that's, happening. That's that is, what's happening but now. That's, that's a horrible thought. It's terrible. And that is a horrible thought. So the third point that I put in the letter to the governor was about right to try. Mm-hmm. So in the state of South Carolina, we have right to try legislation, um, and, it's, and it's for terminally ill patients, right. people who have been diagnosed terminally ill. Okay. And then they can have access with their doctor, right, right. Um, to uh, medications that may be experimental or under clinical trials. Mm -hmm. So I also put in my letter that I supported the expansion of right to try legislation in the state of South Carolina to include COVID treatments. Sure. We are so, facing a pandemic. This is something right. this is unprecedented. There's no It is unprecedented. The virus itself is a what do they call it? Novel virus? Meaning that it's Sure. <laughs> well, novel virus. Yeah. No, I know what you mean. I, I agree. But you know, we we weren't prepared to respond to something like this and well, it's never happened. So, it's never happened before. No. This no. is a first. Right. And so, you know, when you have a situation like that, it's sort of all hands on deck kind of situation, right? And so it needs to be all options on deck, all, all medications, all remedies. Um, 
And people should not feel like they have to go out on their own to seek treatment or buy medications online and, and basically go around their doctor. That's 100% what's happening all over our state. It's so concerning. And I'm, I'm so concerned with the, this attitude that I've seen from my own personal physician friends who work for traditional healthcare centers who are basically coming at, at this with the attitude of, if you have chosen to be unvaccinated, I don't wanna treat you because you're irresponsible. And I'm like, okay, let's apply that logic to the, um, the heavy chain smoker or the obese person who eats, you know, fast food four times a day. Or someone who doesn't wear their seatbelt or, or the guy on the motorcycle who doesn't wear his helmet. Or on and on and on. Whatever. Like, like right. it, it's, it's insane. Like, but, but so you're going to take away our choice for this particular issue? Um, How was the know, governor's response? Did you hear anything back after you wrote the letter? Like what? Well, um, yes. Uh, you know, and I had worked with his, with his staff, um, you know, at, as I was putting the letter together. So they immediately joined forces with DHEC, and they're taking action to um, expand the use and expand those centers, but then they got, you know, we, we've been cut off by the federal government. So now we've got to get some other people involved, um, you know, some of our legislators at the, at the federal level and so that's see if we, we can see if we can get yeah. bigger allotments and, and try to figure out what's going on with that. So that's at this point where you band together as a state, a state body, and turn to the federal officials and say, right. "Okay, let's come together and, and get this going." Right. We're right. in a very um, interesting season. We are. That's for we sure. are. And and let me um, also throw another thing in. Yesterday we had a Republican caucus meeting, and um, Attorney General Alan Wilson came. Mm -hmm. And he said that he was creating within his office a Department of Federalism. What does that mean? What that means is that he's going to assign one or two lawyers, I don't know how many, to basically push back on federal government overreach. Holla. Isn't that wonderful? So good. I know, I know. <laughs> that makes me so excited. Hey. Thank you, Alan Wilson. Alan Wilson's a great guy. Gosh, thank you. For you guys who don't know him, look him up. He's a great guy. He's he's doing his job that's plus. Fantastic. Yes. That's great. And so that's, I say that regardless of who is in who is the president. Right. And how and how the House and Senate look and control. I think it's important. I'm with you on, you know, small federal government, big, robust state government. I think it's important. Um, but it just, there, there's there got to be checks and balances. Yes. It, it, it's, that's the way it was supposed to work from that's the beginning. That's right. That's the way it's set up. Absolutely. Exactly. So that was, that was good news. He's also joining forces with other attorneys general across the country mm -hmm. on um, the vaccine mandate, the federal vaccine mandate. Now, what Biden directed the, I think it was Department of Health and Human Services, was to come up with the, um, the policy that would create this federal government mandate, right. vaccine mandate. Um, so there's nothing yet to litigate. Okay. There's nothing yet to litigate. 
he's basically directing them to do something. Sure. Once they do that, then there and there's a policy in, pre, in place. Then it's time. And to there's deadlines and that kind of thing. Then there's something to litigate. To fight back. But but they are organizing right now and preparing to do that. And we've seen too from our our sheriff join together. Yes. Berkeley County Sheriff joined right. together with all the other sheriffs and put out a release this week that said there is nothing for us to enforce at this time. That's right. So we, but here is our opinion as well. That's right. It's wrong, but you know we can't enforce anything because there's nothing to enforce. So that's, that's right. Good news that we've that got is, some. That time. is good news. We've got some time. Mm-hmm. Well, to wrap up our conversation, um, I if if there's a message that you've got for the listeners right now. Um, some inspiration or encouragement. Will you share that with them? I I will. Um, You know, for those who are listening and want to know more about your government and be more involved in government, know that there are multiple ways for you to do that. Um, The first step is to go online and look at your government's webpage and find out how to contact your elected officials directly. Um, and don't be afraid to do that because that's their job. You know, if, if they won't take your call or won't return your email, then bad on them, right? Right, and exactly. <laughs> and I, but I will put this caveat in there. If they don't immediately return your email, try another one because um, some of us do get large volumes of email. But contact your legislator. And if you want to be involved in government, let them know. Right. Um, another thing you can do is go on the... Um, well, go on the governor's website because I think you can get there from here and look at all of the vacancies on committees. Okay. There are a number of state-sanctioned, state um, state law-created committees um, and councils, that kind of thing, and they're always looking for people to be on these committees. So take a look at that. Um, you know, that's another great way to be involved in government. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, and, you know, those committees, they, for example, determine the curriculum in our K through 12 schools. I Do mean, you hear that so, moms? Yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. So you may think these committees are, are just, you know, for looks or to check a box, but they're not. They actually They make good choices, work. yeah. Yeah, and they make choices, they make recommendations to, to government, and so they're very important. So look at that mm-hmm. um, and, and just, you know, Talk to your neighbors. Um, if you have ideas, don't, you know, don't hesitate. Go to your legislator. Go to your government official and say, hey, I have an idea. Can I sit down and talk with you about it? Because a lot of times that's, that's where great ideas come from, right? Mm-hmm. Um, legislators don't, you know, come up with good ideas necessarily. <laughs> Well, in fact, sometimes we come up with really bad ideas. Maybe, maybe the so, maybe the feedback helps guide that just a little bit. Yes, and I mean, and, and if you have the inkling to run for public office, write down, you know, just just write down some things that you believe about yourself, some things that you believe in. Basically, develop your platform and and just go do it. Go drive to the election office, sit in your car, pray. And then go in there and sign, sign up. I love that part of your story, that's, by the way. I love it. I love it. Because look where <laughs> so you that's are my now. Advice. Look where you are now. Well, you know, and I and I, I'll be here as long as, you know, 
It's God's, God's will. will. That's it. Well, right. speaking of God's will, I love to close out the podcast with a prayer. So okay. I want to pray over you yes. and our audience will join us. So let's play, pray over Celeste together. Um, Lord, I am so grateful for this woman and for her role and for your call on her life and the impact that she's making in Berkeley County and South Carolina and the United States of America. It's so important for, um, for your chosen people to be in these positions at this time. Um, it's such an Esther moment. It's such a for such a time as this. Um, so we pray for specific things over Celeste's life. We ask for courage and bravery, leadership, clear vision, strength, and protection. And we pray that um, you would just bless and anoint her for this next season of her life and um, and for joining us today and sharing so much wisdom. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Thank you. It's Thanks been wonderful. Again. Thanks for joining us. Thank you for inviting me. Well, if you have not done so, I want to invite you to join my seven-day video devotional series. It's called the Seven Day Kickstart. We are going to study fitness of the mind, body, and spirit. It's a fantastic way to grow in your relationship with the Lord if you have felt stagnant or felt far from Him. You can join at sevendaykickstart.org. And again, thanks for joining us. Mead feed out.